All right. Thanks, Susanna. This morning, as we, as before I get into the scripture passage we're looking at, I'm going to go where probably men should be scared to go. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my middle school experiences. <laughs> I told my sister what I was going to talk about. I was actually looking for a picture from an old yearbook, and <clears throat> so I called her up because I didn't have it. And she's like, why are you doing that? Man, you're... You're, you're crazy. <clears throat> so here we go. But when I, was in, <clears throat> when I was in eighth grade, this kid moved. Actually, he moved back to our school. So he had, he had had some history there. But I had just moved there in seventh grade. He moved to our school. His name was Rick Cochran. And we got a picture of Rick. Can you show us the picture, Eddie? Um, this is Rick's the guy on the left. <clears throat> I had a little bit of a man crush on Rick. Like... <laughs> Nothing like romantic, don't get me wrong, but just, I thought he was the man. Uh, he was, he walked with a definite bit of a swagger, and in my opinion, he kind of had reason to, because he just, he was, he was athletic, he was social, he was, he was smart, definitely, I was definitely not fashionable and didn't even really value that, but he like definitely had a look. Um, he always had the latest Nike Air basketball shoes that, I, before anyone else even knew what, where they were coming from, he had them. Um, he was the point guard on our basketball team. And Rick just, you know, he, but really, he had this, like, strawberry blonde hair. And this was the thing at the time. He had the just amazing way to feather the sides of his hair. <laughs> it was just like... And I was like, wow, that's just kind of amazing. His hair was just always, like, just, mm, he had good hair. <laughs> and I did not have good hair, but I, I sort of, I tried to feather my hair, and it just was not happening. I mean, it was, like, greasy, it just had lines in it. I don't know what all was involved with Rick and other people, because it was a thing at the time. I think there were blow dryers and things way beyond what I was going to do. <laughs> but, I mean, I just, I, like, really wish that I could be like Rick. And basically was the, there was this sort of primal feeling inside of me that if I could emulate Rick Cochran, then I would be great too. That if I could be like, if I could act like him, then that would say something about that I would become something that I really wanted to be. And you know, I think this is something I'm willing to talk about this because I know I'm not unique. That people, we do this. There's, we, there, whether it's Taylor Swift or an athlete or whatever, it's easy to think to, to put our hope that, like, if I could just connect to this person somehow vicariously or know them or be like them, then those intangible qualities that I really wish I had, I would have them. And... The reality is that these, these idols, these, these heroes, always let us down. But it points to this, our broken attempt to transfer someone else's greatness into our own life really points to this divine means that God has made by which there is a person there is a someone, capital S, whose greatness can be transferred into us. 
And that is really what we're yearning for. And that is a part of what the Christian message is all about. That is a part of what the Christmas story is all about. Is that God became flesh so that we could fully become the great people that he intended us to be. And we're going through the book of Colossians this month. We're doing Christmas meditations in Colossians. And uh, last week, we, we, looked at, we looked at the first chunk of chapter one, really talking all about who Christ is, the incredible wonder of, of who he is. And many of us are going through, we have our, our weekly, our email is sending out daily sections of Colossians to meditate on and some reflection questions, and many of us are doing that. Um, so really, you know, this book is really about who Christ is, and the book started off that way. This week, we're, we're finishing the last few verses of chapter one and the first few verses of chapter two, and the theme and the title of the message today is, is Christ in You. And there's this phrase in there in Colossians 1.27 that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's a very profound and powerful statement. And often we've, we've kind of like washed this, this idea or even the, the word glory through the, through the washing machine in a sense and lost its essence, you know, in, in just kind of the religiosity or churchianity. We, sometimes people hear glory, they just translate that heaven. So they think, oh, Christ in you, the hope of going to heaven. But that would be the wrong answer on a multiple choice test. Sometimes you hear like Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory is like glory is like just like the I don't know like a light shining behind you. Like oh, like there's this glory. Like what does that mean? It's kind of this nebulous, weird thing. But glory really you can almost just means greatness. Christ in you, the hope of greatness. Christ in you, the hope of becoming something so much greater. Christ, the hope that we have for these infants that we're praying for, that they would become something great, that their lives would, would be impactful, that there would be something powerful about them. The es- this is an essence of the gospel, is that when Christ comes into the world and comes into us, there's a hope of glory, a hope of becoming great as that becomes reality in our life. There's a, one of my favorite lines in a, a Christmas song, oh, 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 Holy Night. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. There's Christ appearing in the world. Reawaken the possibility of the human soul becoming who we were meant to be. The status that, and the, the, actually the status of being an image bearer of God that was given to Adam and Eve and all mankind at the creation, that was never lost. All people are image bearers of God. But the quality of that reflection and the ability to, to bear his image well was lost through sin. 
But Jesus came, and he restores, he, he reawakens, and he brings us back into the ability to live the quality of life that he intended for us from the very beginning. So we're going to read, I'm just going to read this section of Colossians, end of one, chapter one, beginning of chapter two, um, and just kind of talk through it and look at how, how can we experience Christ in us, the hope of glory. So let's just read through this. this was, remember, this was meant to be read as a letter. So there's a lot in here, but it was intended for the audience to hear it and understand it and apply it to their life. And so that's what we're doing this morning. God, help us. Lord, I, let's pray, Lord, I pray right now that as we read your word, that you would ignite these truths, that your spirit would bring understanding to our minds. And you would slough off the effects of kind of the, the dust of this world and the dust in our souls and help us to see who you are and who you've called us to be as you're in us. Help us to come into that more fully. Lord, awaken, help us to just ignite your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Colossians 1.24, Paul writes and he says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay, this, this verse is so profound. I've actually been thinking about this verse a lot for the last couple of years. And... I'll just read it again. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Paul's writing, I'm suffering for you. I rejoice in that. That's profound. That's odd. Why would you rejoice in suffering? And I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. What Christ has done in coming to the earth, in going to the cross, in taking our sin to taking the sin of the world upon himself and in his body and then rising again. What Christ has done is the most heroic thing imaginable and the most heroic thing ever. What Christ has done in dying for us and suffering for us and dying and then coming to life is heroic and it's, it's cosmic in its effect. He did something in his suffering, that not only affected his life, but it affected the life of all of humanity, all of mankind who would believe in him. And that's, you know, that, that's, the, 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 that's, that's the gospel. But what's really interest, also interesting here is that what Paul is doing is in like kind heroic. And I would say cosmic, epic. Paul's saying, hey, I'm going through some really tough stuff. But it's not purposeless. What I'm doing, he's in prison right now, and you read the accounts of Paul's life. He's beaten, shipwrecked, carried incredible emotional weight upon himself. He said, what I'm doing, it's not just for me, it's for you. And that's, that's, that's kind of grandiose. 
That's, that's like, well, how does that work? I mean, Paul didn't even start this church directly. How is his suffering helping them? But somehow, we're going to get into this, he, and, and then he goes on and says, somehow his sufferings are not just for himself, but for the Colossians. And even more, he's saying, he's filling up in his flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. So he has the audacity to say, hey, my afflictions are actually not just my hard times, but it's actually Christ's afflictions. Somehow I am joining in Christ's afflictions in what I'm going through right now. That is, that's big. That's vast. That's, that's heroic. So just, we'll, we'll move on. But that's, that's, that's where we start here. Verse 25, he says, I have become its servant. I've become the church's servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now disclosed to, to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul sums up this whole, like, man, I'm bringing this message that's been hidden throughout generations. I'm bringing it to the, the lost world, and this is the mystery, Christ coming in you, the hope of glory. That's, I didn't make this up. I almost feel like you should stone me. I almost feel like this is like too out there. It's, but but it's, it's, it's the word of God. The mystery of God is not only who Christ is, but how he comes to us and what he does in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the same manner that it's, it's incredible that Mary could, could receive in her body the person of God and carry God around inside her womb In like manner, it's incredible that to those who turn from their sins and put their faith in Jesus, Christ comes in us. And we can walk around. This is what it means to be a Christian, not to follow rules and try to be good. It's receiving the person of God inside us. Hey, again, I feel like you should stone me. This, it's, it's amazing. But this is the gospel. God comes to live inside of us. And out of that, you think maybe Mary's life was a little changed because God came and lived inside her. Yeah. In like manner. You think maybe she was elevated. You think maybe she became fully who she was meant to be in a way that never would have happened. If God hadn't come into her. Yeah. That's what God does. Christ in us. The hope of glory. The hope of greatness. The hope of living the life God intended for us. Verse 28. He's the one we proclaim. 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that, what's, why do we do this? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And that word mature, it's sometimes translated perfect or complete. It's the idea of becoming fully who you were meant to be. Reaching the end of what you were made, of who you were made to be. It's the teleos, it's the completion, the goal of your creation. Him we, we proclaim him because he alone is the one able to make us become that. We proclaim him that we may present. Paul's like, man, this is what my life is about. I'm making disciples. I'm going around the world proclaiming this message of Jesus so that people can become Christians, which literally means little Christ. So that people can become fully raised up to become who they were meant to be. I can, and that's only possible through Jesus. That's only possible through him coming inside of us and raising him up. Him up. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's like, man, this is, this is worth giving my life to. And as I do this, God's energy comes upon me. God's power comes upon me. Because this is what he is about. This is what he is doing. Raising people up. Making people great. Him we proclaim. It's all in Christ, right? It's, he's saying, him we proclaim. You can't like force this. You can't manufacture this. You can't mass produce this. No human effort can make this happen. It's him we proclaim. Because Jesus alone, it's Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's believing in him that something happens. We're changed and we're raised up. So him we proclaim. It's got to be about him. But then he says, admonishing and teaching with all wisdom. Admonishing implies that there's something the audience has got to do to come into this, right? He's admonishing. He's, he's urging. Hey, come on. This is, this is what God has for you. But it's what he does. But there's something you got to do to come into this. And teaching, there's something you got to understand. It's what he does, but we have a part in entering into experiencing Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then chapter one, or chapter two, verse one. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, the neighboring city, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's in Christ, but there's something, there's a part we have to come into. There's some ways we have to understand, ways we have to act to come into this. So I just want to talk about that. How does Christ make you great? How does Christ make you great? What can we see in this little section of this letter about how can I come into this hope of glory? How does Christ make me great? First thing that happens is that how Christ makes you great, he transforms your thinking. Christ transforms 
your thinking. Man, to me, we all, we all need our thinking transformed. We all have ways of thinking that are just full of insecurities, full of pride, full of vanity, full of lust, full of ourself being the sinner. We all have ways of thinking that keep us from experiencing the fullness of Christ in us, the hope of glory. I, my, my friend Rick Cochran, man, I thought he was all that. But, you know, the reality was that oh, his, his swagger came from insecurity as much as it did from confidence. I mean, I remember one day when the, one of the guy, the guy on the right on that picture, he was, he was a guy that Rick didn't really like, but was kind of like the guy always trying to get in, you know, always trying to be close to the center of power, always trying to be close to the popular guy. And Rick, like I said, he always, he always got the newest, coolest basketball shoes before anyone else even knew they existed. And so he got this certain pair of shoes and wore, was wearing them around. And then one day before school, in eighth grade, this other guy showed up with kind of a poop-eating grin on his face, and he was wearing the same pair of shoes. And Rick went ballistic. Like, he just lost it. Like, he, he had a meltdown. And it was like, wow, like, someone touched, like, the fragile ego of you know, my friend Rick. And because his, his whole, like, his, his, his glory was based upon this whole, like, how he was orchestrating life to try to, you know, perch himself on the throne. And, you know, one little thing to pull that off, and it was all discombobulated. And that's what we do. We're like building our little kingdom with our accomplishments and our looks and our relationships and our reputation and our efforts and all the stuff we do. Like we, we, we think, like, oh man, yes, if I can just do this, then I, that's, that's where my identity, my confidence comes from. But it's so fragile. And it's, it's, so, it's just so trash. It's just so, it doesn't work. Our, our thinking is, is so weak. But all the ways we naturally think. But we need our thinking to be transformed. So that what we're putting our trust in is fully Christ and not any of the other crap that we try to put our trust in. We need our thinking transformed. In, this, in, in Colossians 2, just looking back at what we, we read, he says, verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, transformed thinking, in order that they may know the mystery of God. Know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, when, we, when our thoughts become focused on Christ and believing in Christ, replacing all those other ways of thinking with truth and God's word and with who he is, God comes in and he, makes, he begins to make us great. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, he says in verse 4. Man, as we have all these other arguments, all these other philosophies, all these other things that we tend to believe that are easy for us to fall for. But when our faith is put in Christ, we rise up above all that. So our thinking is transformed as we set our minds to believe that Jesus is Christ. As we set our minds to believe that he's Lord. As we put our faith in him, our thinking is transformed. And we're going to talk more about this in, in chapter 3. Paul gets into it more. So I'm going to just move on. 
But it starts by Christ transforming our thinking. And then, this, this is really good, he transforms your emotions. Now, how many of you could use some emotional transformation? I know I could. Man, a lot of my emotions, it's like, obviously, these are not Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is, this is me in me, the reality of all sorts of, of weirdness and stuff. Um, but Christ in us transforms our heart. Christ in us transforms our emotions. Colossians 2, what I just read, verse 2, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. As Christ comes in us, there's something in our hearts, there's an encouragement and an inner transformation that happens. Um, I, this like being fully human on an emotional level does not come naturally to me. All right, here's, so here's the picture that I asked my sister to, to find for me. This is me, not very emotionally great in middle school. If you, if you don't know which one is me, it's the guy sitting stiff with glasses on, third from the right. It's like, man, all my other buddies, like, they're chill, they're having fun, they're relaxed. And there's me, Mr. Stiff. That was actually one of my, one of my many nicknames. Um, I was, they also called me the priest in this time of my life. Because there was just like, there was just like a not very emotionally healthy going on. And... That's, man, I could use some emotional transformation. I could use some Christ in me, the hope of glory in my emotions. Thank God. He's, he's still working on me, but I've come a little ways from, from that time. Um, so he transforms our emotions, but that's good. But what's not so, so fun is how he does it a lot of the times. I mean, there are, good, there are fun ways that he does it. He, encourages, he transforms our emotions just by speaking his truth, by speaking encouragement, by being in community, by, you know, there are a lot of ways that just like, man, okay, this is good. I like this emotional transformation. But there's this other means he has that's, that's really effective, and it's what Paul's talking about here. It's through pain and suffering. Give the Lord a shout. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah. But that's, what, that's how Paul starts off this whole discourse, right? But I rejoice in my suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction, suffering and affliction. Yay. So great. But God has a means of using emotional toughness to awaken us and transform us and bring the freedom on the inside that he intends for us. That word suffering, it's actually the, the Greek word uh, pathema. It's, it's the same root where we get the word that we, for pathos, so emotion. Um, and Strong's Concordance says, pathos, pathos, it's suffering, affliction, or passion, emotion, or an un- undergoing, an endurance. You know, whatever suffering is, it's emotional, right? That's, there's something about tough times that is unavoidably emotional. But there's a, there's a connection in this in this suffering of Christ to bring us into the person we were made to be. Um, and the, another Bible study helps. I just thought this was really helpful. I'm just going to read through this. Helps word study says, this word, pathema, is the capacity to feel strong emotion, like suffering. Properly, it's the capacity and privilege, privilege of experiencing strong feeling. Felt deep emotion 
like agony, passion or ardent desire, suffering, etc. So this is part of who we were made to fully be. The ability to feel deeply. The ability to, to care deeply. Both with, with love and, and passion and also to feel what is, what is evil. To feel what is wrong. To, to feel it in our gut. This goes on. It says, under God, path and lower strong feeling is redemptive. Preparing us to know the Lord better now and forever in glory. Pathema is not inherently negative. Indeed, it is only negative when experienced outside of or apart from faith. Wow. So whatever we're going through emotionally, it oftentimes feels negative. Man, this last week, a lot of it felt pretty darn negative for me. But the it's only when we're in that place apart from faith in Christ that it actually is negative. If we're leaning into Christ, putting our faith in him in that place, joining with him, then it is a good thing, and he is working in that process. It goes on, path of strong feelings includes suffering, which should always, at least ideally, result in knowing God's glory. Wow, so there's the result. It leads us into God's glory. How does God transform our emotions? And often it's by leading us to care about what he does through suffering. When we're in that place of suffering, it's the invitation. You know, when I'm, a lot of my challenges have this last week. My daughter, Amzie, was having a lot of health issues. And many of you know she's got epilepsy and she's, sometimes struggles with, with this chronic vomiting thing, and, and she was in the vomiting cycle this last week, and it just was like consuming a lot of my emotional space. And, but in that place, I'm like, okay, what's, when it's not godly pathema, it's just like, oh God, will you take this away? I'm tired of it. My life is really inconvenient right now. I can't get anything done. I feel frustrated and sleep deprived. God, please just deliver me. And sometimes God does that. But a lot of times he doesn't. And he's more getting me to the place of like, okay, man, I just get into a place of caring about my daughter more than I ever have before. Of caring about sickness in the world. Of caring about the stuff that's keeping people from living the life they were meant to live. And even in Amzi, I'm like, okay, God, okay, Amzi, this is hard. We're praying for God to take it away. But if you will trust God in this right now, if you'll trust God in this right now, he's going to use it for good. It's going to be good for you. And somehow, if you trust him, I don't know how this works, but it's going to be good for other people too. Your suffering can help other people and help you. And it'll bring people into their glory. And it'll bring you into your glory. And so she's like, Dad, you're, wow. But like, she's heard this enough. And it helps her. It's like, okay, I'm going to buckle into this. I'm going to lean into this. And there's something there. That is, God does that. That verse goes on. Back to Colossians 1.24. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. So there's that pathema. And I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now that's wild. There's something still lacking in Christ's afflictions. So Jesus went through everything on 
the cross for the sake of his body. But Paul's saying there's more that still has to happen of Christ's afflictions for new creation to come fully into the world. And I am, what the affliction I'm in is part of that. That word affliction really has the idea of pressure. That's the word flippus, flips, uh, flipsis, afflictions, pressure. What constricts or rubs together. It's used of a narrow place that hems someone in, especially internal pressure that causes someone to feel confined or restricted or without options. I think of like a cattle chute where you're like bringing the cattle in and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. That's what affliction is. That's what emotional difficulty can be. It's like, oh my goodness, it's like the world is closing in on me. I just feel like there, I, there's, what, there's not much I can do here. It's getting tighter and tighter and tighter. That's, that's this affliction. But that's, God is in that. There's an opportunity, let me say that. Not necessarily, because if we do that apart from Christ, it's just really miserable. But if we, there's an opportunity to join with Christ in that place. And then it's purposeful. Then there's coming into transformation. Philipsis, or compression and tribulation, carries the challenge of coping with the internal pressures of tribulation, especially when feeling there's no way of escape. So, there's an opportunity for emotional transformation. If we can lean into the affliction and say, Jesus, I want to join you in this. Let my affliction be part of your affliction. Let this be what, something that you're in and that you're working redemptively in me and in the world. The goal of this is to crowd out our selfishness, to crowd out our, our sin, our flesh, our attitudes, our stuff that's different from him and to le- help us to turn those things, turn to him in those places and let him replace them with a Christ-centered life. Christ transforms our emotions when we delight in what delights in him and agonize over what agonizes him. I'll say that again. Christ transforms our emotions in those places when we shift our delights to be not about what we want, what we're looking for, but what he values. What he delights in. God, what, what, what do you value? What do you love? Okay, Lord, change my heart. Man, I'm, I'm corrupt. I'm selfish. God, I want to, but give me your heart. Give me your heart for people. Give me heart, your heart for yourself, for, for God. Give me your, let my, let my emotions, let my values change in this place. So I'm going to delight in this suffering. Let me, I'm going to delight in this because God, Paul, Paul could do that. He could delight in his suffering because he saw for the joy set before him, God was doing something great in that place. We delight in that and we agonize over what agonizes him. So, oh God, this is broken. This is messed up. There's a place of fully entering into that and it's not just like, okay, it's okay. I'm just going to like, Christian means that I'm just going to pretend everything's okay. But it's, no, there is a brokenness in the world and that's not Okay. Jesus is all about bringing new life, bringing new creation, eradicating sickness, eradicating poverty, 
eradicating the things that, that keep human flourishing back. These things, the world is broken. And in, our, in the afflictions, it's an opportunity to feel like Jesus wept when he saw Lazarus and the effect of death upon the world. He wept. And that's, for us, there's a place in that to, to, to agonize, to lament, to like, God, this is broken. But to join him in that place and in his desire for new creation to come. So God transforms us in our, in our thinking and in, in our emotions as we walk through that. Um, it's a good thing. It's, I mean, it gives, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not fun. But in that, it makes everything meaningful if it's Christ in us. If it's us joining Christ in the place of those challenges. So he transforms our thinking, he transforms our emotions, and he transforms our lifestyle. Christ in us, the hope of glory, as he transforms the way we live. In Colossians 2.5, Paul says, Though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present in spirit. I delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Orderly, it's same word as discipline. It's like a military word, ranking things, ranking people up according to where they're supposed to be. He's saying, hey, as you're putting Christ at the center of your life, as you're identifying with Christ, as you're inviting him in and aligning with him, things are shifting. Your schedule is shifting. Your value, how you spend your time is shifting. Your habits are shifting. There's a new order that's coming into your life. You're carrying out the Great Commission to do everything God commands us. And Paul's the great example of this. He's, he's rearranging his life to be part of God's mission. And as we come into that, that's part of this glory that God has for us. I love, all, I love the, where, where, uh, the phrase in here, because it's so important to realize this is not just according to our natural ability. If we're trying to be transformed by just trying harder, that's not going to work. Especially when we're talking about the affliction and the suffering and all that. It's like, oh my goodness, like, I can't do that. I can't, I can't do that. But Paul says this, back to what he said in verse, verse 29. He said, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And that's it. This is not us just trying to, trying to become great. But it's opening up and saying, God, come into this place. Come into my mind. Come into my emotions. Come into my relationships. Come into my lifestyle. Lord, come into this. I invite you in fully. And that's like the dam is broken and the water floods in. There's Christ comes into that place. And it's his power that comes and transforms us. It's his power that comes and changes us in that. It's, it's his, all his energy that so powerfully works in us. It's him. In the book of Colossians, it's, it's amazing. This, the phrase, in Christ, is over and over and over again. It's, Paul says either in Christ or with Christ or Christ in us. He says it 15 times in here. It's all about, hey, dude, it's in Christ. It's being in Christ. It's Christ in you. It's, this is not you, but it's, it's Christ in you. Trusting in him, opening up to him, and he comes in and he transforms you in that place. So, the question for us is, is he in us? And do we want him in us? Is he in today? Is he in your thoughts? How much is he in your emotions? How much is, in he, is he in your lifestyle? And 
The, the invitation is to invite him into those places. To invite him into those places. I, you know, I've just, I've found this to be true over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. That the, the moment I turn to him, things shift. Things change. There's, sometimes it's an immediate, just, exhilaration. Oftentimes it's just a more subtle, like, hmm, okay, yeah, it's different now. I, I got what I need. I'm looking to you, Lord, and you're in this, and I can walk through this now. And Christ is in us to walk that out. So I just invite us this morning to wherever we're at, whatever, maybe you know, it's, God's hitting you on one of these places more than the other, but to fully invite Christ into your thoughts, to your emotions, to your lifestyle, and to live according to that energy of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory, to walk into that. I just want to pray for us. I'm going to pray this prayer that St. That Patrick of Ireland prayed because it's just, just such a powerful prayer that I, I love. And I'm going to pray this, and if this is your heart, agree with me um, to, to experience this. Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the hope of glory. Thank you for the hope of greatness. Thank you for how much different ones of us in different ways, how much we've experienced that. And Lord, thank you for the hope of of that continuing on and that being complete. Lord, as this morning, as, as we in this room invite Christ fully into our lives, we pray this prayer. May you arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness, of the creator of creation. May you arise today through the strength of Christ's birth with his baptism, through the strength of his crucifixion with his burial, through the strength of his resurrection with his ascension, through the strength of his descent for the judgment day. Christ with you, Christ before you, Christ behind you, Christ in you, Christ beneath you, Christ above you, Christ on your right, Christ on your left, Christ when you lie down, Christ when you sit down, Christ when you arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of you, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of you, Christ in every eye that sees you. Christ in every ear that hears you. Lord, we, we receive you today. Thank you. Amen. Amen.